Hello, and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will look at a movie or TV show written, directed, or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we will look at the 2018 BBC show, Killing Eve, based on the novella, codenamed Villanelle by Luke Jennings, developed for TV by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and starring Sandra Oh as Eve and Jodie Comer as Villanelle. To start us off, here is a synopsis. Eve Pilastri, a desk-bound MI5 officer, begins to track down talented, psychopathic assassin Villanelle, while both women become obsessed with each other. Trigger warnings for violence, murder, and graphic imagery. So you really picked a perfect time to cover the show. Season two is literally, no, it already premiered. It will have premiered by the time this episode airs. Yes. First episode of season two premiered last Sunday okay. on April seventh. <gasps> now everyone knows that we're recording a week later. It's okay. A scandal. We're recording on a Saturday, so the next episode will be tomorrow. They don't need to know that. No, I'm just kidding. Have you watched the season two premiere yet? No, I was waiting to record this, but now in retrospect, I see that that would have allowed for maybe richer discussion if I had a. So I'm not sure why I waited, but I had the inclination to do do that. I did not wait. Did you? Is it good? It's gonna yes. Season two is gonna be good. Okay, I'm I'm kind of excited for them to fill in some of the things that I felt were like left kind of floating in the ether at the end of season one. So how did you hear about this show? I mean, I don't know if you could have not heard about this show. I feel like there were ads and posters and commercials for it all the time, and it looked so good. Sandra Oh is one of those actors that if I see her in something, I will immediately check it out because she has such a well-rounded filmography and television appearances. I was immediately interested when I saw her in it. And then seeing the dynamic of two female leads, the title led me to believe this would be something that was right up my alley. How about you? You didn't watch it when it was originally aired, right? You only watched it once it was on Hulu. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know about it until Hulu. So I had been hearing about it, and then Sandra Oh got nominated for the Emmy, I think Golden it was. Golden Globe? Was it Emmy? I think she got nominated for the Emmy, but she only won the Golden Globe. I know she won the Golden Globe. And so people kept saying how amazing she was. And I never watched Grey's Anatomy, so I haven't seen her in that. Mm-hmm. But I saw her in Sideways, and she was great mm-hmm. in that. So I've always liked her. I didn't realize how funny she was. She's, okay, did you remember her from Princess Diaries? She was the principal. Remember the one that's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm? No! That's her. She's like, your majesty, I'm sorry we didn't have finer china. That's Sandra Oh. And then she was also in Under the Tuscan Sun. She was Diane Lane's best friend in that. That's right. She was a lesbian who had the baby. Yeah, with and she was like, they're creepy. Creepy Italian trees. It's like they know. She so, was really good in Under the Tuscan Sun. I've always kept up with her because I fell in love with her in Princess Diaries. Because I, I can't even really remember that movie. I loved it. I saw it like 10 times in the theater. But I can remember specifically her scenes, what she said, and how hilarious she made those moments. That's kind of how I came to think of her until Grey's Anatomy. As this supporting actor that comes in and does these really great iconic moments but maybe not the star but the star power and the presence is undeniable in any facet or any shape or any size role that they inhabit so yeah i heard about the show you know all the press and stuff surrounding that Mm -hmm. 
and then when I went to search for it, because it seemed like it would fit in with my interest. With our brand. Yeah. I couldn't <laughs> find it anywhere. And then finally, I saw it was streaming on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And then you, I said... You, Are you watching Killing Eve? And, and you I'm, were like, I'm almost done with it. I literally, because Carl and I binge watched and I think we finished it in two nights. We made it last two nights because I was of the mindset, I am not going to do what I always do and finish a, an ep, or not an episode, finish a series in one day. Because I think we found it when we were on break from school, like our holiday break. So a day long binge was very, very tangible for us. So I remember specifically wanting to wait and make it last at least a few days. I have a hard time watching that much. So it lasted a lot longer for me. But yeah, it it's so good. All the press you've heard about it, all the hype is true. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's that good. It holds up. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I was doing some research on her because the name sounded so familiar. I realized that she is the star, and I think she was the writer of Fleabag on Amazon. Did you ever watch that? No, I haven't, but I've heard that it's really good. Oh, it's so funny. And I don't know if there's more than one season out anymore. Apparently, she's not going to be working on season three of Killing Eve because she's still working on You mean season two? No, it it just got renewed for a third season. Oh, okay. Um, So she's not coming back at all? No. Oh, I, I hope that they're able to keep that that feel because there's something it's it's a very dark show but there's something very irreverent about it and I think that's kind of her style because when I realized she wrote Fleabag and was the woman that starred in it the humor made sense she wrote four of the eight episodes in season one and she also was the one who developed it from the novel for tv so she's really you know the backbone of the first season of the show yeah so that'll be interesting to see if they can keep the show's essence the same without her oh here in my notes sandra O won a screen actors guild award and a golden globe and the critics choice television award for her portrayal of eve makes total sense i think sandra O is one of those rare gems in acting where she is so authentic and present in the roles that she does that most of the roles that she ends up playing end up being so memorable and celebrated. And I think that's attributed to the way she approaches her characters. Oh, she was the first actress of Asian descent to be nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for the lead actress in a drama series. And she was the first Asian woman to win two Golden Globes. So that's some big stuff there. That's She's a trailblazer. Yeah. Absolutely. Very interesting to me that we are still having firsts in 2019 but I think that also is a great beacon if you will that's bringing more attention to the fact that there are still firsts it's like have we had an indigenous person win a golden globe has that happened I don't think so so still in an era of first and that needs to continue to happen it needs to continue to happen and I and I love the fact that entertainment and the people creating art are waking up to the fact that their viewers are not being as represented as they should be. People that regularly wouldn't be given the opportunities to create roles or to create shows or art are being given the opportunity opportunity to do so because they see how well these shows are doing when it is visually representative of the viewership watching the show. Also, one of the things, you know, that we are trying to highlight, all the women and female identifying artists 
that are working in the industry and they're doing amazing work. And for so long, it has been overlooked. And that's a big reason why we do this podcast, too, is because uh, Laura and I both saw kind of a void in female led creation in the genres of suspense and thriller and mystery. It's happened and it's it's there, but some a lot of times it can be overlooked, passed over or not even given a shot to begin with. We want to highlight those artists, those people working their asses off to make these films because they speak to us and we're pretty sure they speak to you guys. Sandra O oh said that she waited 30 years for a role as meaty as Eve. Oh, yeah. And that when she first read the script, she had no idea who the producers wanted her to play, and she assumed that she would be a receptionist or a doctor or some secondary role. Like you said, you've seen her in a lot. Yep. Attached to an Asian actress. And she was ecstatic when her agent told her that she would be playing Eve. Oh, I can I can only imagine how exciting that would be. But a, an actor of Sandra O's oh caliber in my opinion, should only be considered for leading roles or large supporting roles at this point. Oh, definitely. I mean, she's been in the business for so many years. Mm-hmm. Well, and the work speaks for itself. Yeah. I really don't think there's there's an excuse where Sandra Oh should be relegated to a bit part ever again, unless it's something where it's a project where she chooses to do so. Right. Like, I've seen Robin Williams take small parts in things before. Sure. But it was a choice that he made because mm-hmm. it was, you know, a good part that he wanted to play. I can yeah. see that, but yeah, her just playing a receptionist or a doctor, no. Yeah, I, I, I don't see that in her future, hopefully. Well, I don't see that in her future anymore because she has proven over and over and over again how incredible she is as an actor, and she has the chops and the awards to prove it now. And from the moment that we meet her in Killing Eve, she just... Is it. ...takes complete... Oh my god, that first scene where she's just like rolling around screaming in bed. I'm like, oh my god, what is this woman seeing? She's so tortured. Oh my gosh, the horrible things she must have experienced. And then she just fell asleep on her arms and she's overreacting like we all would. Yeah. <laughs> that just, that immediately set the tone for the show. It's like, okay, this is going to be dark and there's going to be a lot of murdering, but it's going to be funny. I mean, I burst out laughing because I've done that before. Oh, yeah. Where I've woken up and you can't feel your hands because you were asleep on them. Mm -hmm. And I've never, you know, been screaming my lungs out about it. But it was like that. That was a real reaction. Yeah. And then, of course, the guy playing her husband is so sweet and, you know, so concerned about her. Yeah. And then she's like, I fell asleep on my arms. It's like, JK, I'm just dramatic and hungover. But but for real. But she was, no. And I and I love it because this ep- this episode, because we're talking about the pilot. So the, the show overall, but since we're talking about one episode, this episode really establishes that no one is going to be the character that you think they're going to be. And I think that scene with Eve in the beginning kind of sets that off. Also, I didn't want to pass over the first scene with Villanelle when she's in the ice cream shop and she's trying to get the little girl to smile at her because at first I was like, oh, she she just, you know, she wants to be loved like everybody else. And so she's just trying to reach out and like be like have this little girl smile at her. And I think it was more like a challenge. It was like, oh, well, this guy did this and the little girl smiled at him. So if I do that, then the little girl would smile at me. So it was almost more of a way how to manipulate someone into doing what you want them to do. To me, and of course this is all open to interpretation, 
but the reason that she knocked little girl's ice cream all over her was because she didn't smile at her at first. Mm, really? Yeah. My, my interpretation of that scene was she was trying to get the little girl to smile at her, and it didn't work. Because so what did she do first? She did a closed mouth smile. Oh, it was just like a smaller smile, and the little girl didn't really reciprocate. Right. And then the ice cream clerk guy... Gave her a big smile. Uh, with teeth. First, and I mean... It's innocent enough, but why is this ice cream clerk just, like, grinning ear to ear at this kid? But Well, that made me feel a bit weird. But, no, I know, but I don't think that it was supposed to, because it's like, I smile at kids all the time. It's like, I saw a baby today in Whole Foods, and I was just, like, beaming ear to ear, and its parents probably thought I was going to, like, kick it. Because oh. I was just like, oh my god, baby. I'm always making faces at kids that come into work. So maybe that's not as weird as it is. Maybe we're just putting that on there because it was a dude. Yeah. We're making it weird because it was a dude. And so then she smiles at the girl showing teeth. And the little girl smiles back at her. Yeah. So I thought that that was kind of her revenge at the kid for not smiling at her in the first place. See, I don't think, for me, it was that. But I don't know what it meant. I'm, I'm, I stopped the show a couple times re-watching it. And I just looked over at Carl, who was watching it with me. And I would ask him, what's happening in this scene? Because there's something, but it's just, I can't put my finger on it. So I'd be really interested to hear from anyone listening to this episode what you got from that scene. Because I do agree, there's something there. There's a reason she did it. I don't know if it's just like, if it was to establish that, oh, she wasn't trying to connect with a little girl. She was just using her. It was like she was just trying to see how she got, could get what she wanted. And then it was like a subtle way to go to let us know that, it wasn't what we thought. Yeah, there's so many different ways this scene could be interpreted. Yeah. We'd love to know what you guys think. And that goes for anything. If you hear something and you want to challenge it or you think, oh, I kind of thought this, like totally do so. Do so in a lovely, kind spirit of, you know, loving loving the arts as much as we do. And we will happily have discussion with you. Just don't be a dick. But another thing that this opening scene does is it really sets the tone because the music is so jaunty. Mm-hmm. Like, it's this fun kind of peppy music. Oh, yeah. It's not somber, creepy. It's not like, dun dun Yeah. So we know right off the bat because of this that this is going to be a fun murder show. Yeah, it's, like I said, there's going to be a bit of a reverence with it. It's going to be dark. It, it's going to be funny. Um, but both are going to kind of exist, cohabitate in the same world. It's not going to be one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yes, we jump to our scene where we meet Eve and her husband. It's kind of interesting because they jump. I know that this might seem obvious, but they do. They jump between. They'll go to Villanelle. They'll go to Eve. They'll go back to Villanelle. And, of course, they have to do that because they're kind of on two separate storylines right now. They haven't caught up. They haven't met up at this point. Cause so it's like it's first we were introduced to Villanelle and what she's about. And then we're introduced a little bit more in depth to Eve. And then we go back and we learn a little bit more about Villanelle. So it really goes back and it's kind of establishing these storylines as we go. I just realized something too. I think that one of them is always in the scene. There's not really a, there's not many scenes that happen without one of those characters being in the scene. I'm trying to think of one and I'm not thinking of it. Especially in this first episode, as it goes on a little bit, that may there's be the some case. other ones. But still, throughout the series, it's mostly one or both of them being in almost all of the scenes. Yeah. So as we go on, so like I said, first we meet Villanelle and we have that first scene in the ice cream shop. And then, and that also establishes where she's at. Isn't she in Bulgaria? She's in Vienna. Vienna. Okay. So that's a very important key into all of this. So she is in v Vienna. 
Then we go to Eve, who's in London, MI5 officer or MI5 detective. What is she? MI5 officer. So she's an MI5 MI5 officer and she's an assistant to this dude named Bill, who's um, we will get to know later on. So during the scene where her arms have fallen asleep and her husband wakes her up and all is not as it seems and she's just hungover and dramatic. She makes this really funny statement. She's like, well, at least we have the rest of the weekend. And it immediately cuts to her having to go into work. I wrote down, like, at least we have the weekend. Never mind is every weekend for a married couple or a person in a, in a relationship. Because you think you're, you're going to have all this time to rest and relax. But uh, JK, everyone else has ideas about what you should be doing. And in this case, what Eve should be doing is investigating a murder of who died? Actually, she's not allowed to investigate. No, no, no. She's not investigating. She's um, she's assisting Bill, but she has to be called into this meeting. Right. She's in charge of providing protection. Ah, okay. That's her job, her only job. So she is only there to provide protection. She is not a... That makes more sense. I think I missed that somewhere. Yeah, because she actually gets in trouble. No, I know, and that makes more sense now. Wow, I should really pay attention to things... So well, because I got, I got, I paid attention to other stuff. There has been a murder in Vienna of this politician who's also involved in sex trafficking. Oh, so sad, poor guy. Yeah, so um, he's dead. And his girlfriend was the only witness to this murder. There was no camera coverage in the area. So Eve's job is to provide protection for the girlfriend. So when she's in the meeting, one of my favorite things is the fact that she unwraps the bag with the croissant in it. Because in an earlier scene right before this, um, she's with Elena and both, I think, are very hungover. But Elena's younger and she's just bounced back. And I think uh, Eve is lamenting that a little bit. And Elena has a croissant. Eve wants a croissant. Elena's like, F you, I didn't get you a croissant. But then she got her a croissant. So it was like this beautiful like moment of like like, subtle camaraderie because they didn't like pet each other and be like, oh, I love you. But there was this this subtle support, and I really liked that scene. What I love during this meeting is Eve doesn't think twice about opening this very crinkly paper bag and just, like, eating this croissant with abandon because she's not going to deny her needs because it might inconvenience someone else. And I think that's really interesting in a female character, this very subtle nod to, like, I'm hungover and I need butter, so bear with me. Cause, and she keeps eating it. I also really like the fact that when they explain what happened to this guy, mm-hmm. um, he was cut in one of his arteries and he was bleeding for about a minute before he collapsed. Her reaction is cool. Like, awesome. Yeah. Which, yeah. That establishes a lot there, too. Yes. Because most people would be like, oh, no, that's terrible. And she's like, really? She's like, tell me more. Yeah, exactly. But I think you need to be that kind of person in this kind of situation. You need to have your curiosity piqued by murder because not necessarily her, but in law enforcement and these agencies, you do need to be curious about that because you need to get into the mind of someone that could perpetrate a crime like this. But she's very insightful. She's listening. She's eating her croissant with abandon, like I said. Um, a little more cautiously after she gets some side eyes, but she's still eating it. I don't know why. That was just a huge moment for me. I was just like, eat your buttered biscuit, lady. Your buttered biscuit. Never mind. But she's very insightful and she's listening and she's taking it all in. And she leans over to Bill and goes, 20 quid, it's a woman. So there's Bill. There's a couple other people. There's Frank, their boss. So, and then there's Carolyn Martins, who is the head of the Russian desk of MI5. 
And so they're all in there talking about it. And Eve makes this comment under her breath. And Carolyn just seems very interested in Eve from the moment she kind of sits down because Eve's also late. There's this there's just this curiosity you can feel coming from Carolyn when Eve says something or mentions something. She's like, oh, I'm sorry, what? What? And she's really interested to hear what she said for whatever reason. But I just found that that was an interesting tidbit. Yeah. And then when she leaves the room, you know, once they've established that Eve's going to get security for this girl. um, The girlfriend of this crime boss. Yes. She says, uh, Eve explains her theory about why she thinks it's a woman. Mm -hmm. And it's because that the guy's a sex trafficker. He probably wouldn't see a woman as a threat. So a woman could get close enough to kill him in that way. Yeah, and that was another thing when I'm talking about when she's taking it all in and she's insightful. She's able to read into that very quickly. Right. And Carolyn says, thank you, Eve. And so Eve leans over to Bill and she's like, she said, Eve. And <laughs> Bill threatens to fire her if she doesn't give him the rest of her croissant. Okay, let's just take a minute to talk about Bill. This has now turned into a Bill Appreciation Podcast because Bill... Talking again about how characters are not as they seem in this show. Because you get there and it's Elena and Eve and you think, oh, they're kind of maybe frenemies or co-workers, but they don't really get along. But it turns out, you know, they do have a good relationship. When you first meet Bill, you think he's really stuffy, stodgy, old. He just is such an interesting character to me because he is nothing as he appears in the beginning. But he definitely does threaten to fire her if she doesn't give him the rest of her croissant. I love Bill so much. And as we get to know him more in the series, he is just so delightful. And the two of them together. Because I think what I love most of all is Bill is not a character, somewhat in the beginning, and I think it's just because um, she's she's reaching out of her her position, her her job title. I think that's kind of what's causing it. But most of the time, he's very much of the mindset. He never tells her no. He doesn't discourage her. Discourage her. He challenges her and he questions her. I would say 95% of this show, he is completely on board to support her. In the beginning, though, I do think he has a little bit of resistance. Well, yeah, only because he's her boss and she's basically doing illegal things. Yeah, so, and sometimes that can be hard to get around, I guess. Oh, and also I have the note, Frank's, Frank is a dick. Oh, yes. Just immediately, you can just tell we've all had this boss. And Frank is not happy because they had a birthday party for Bill and they didn't invite him. Hence the hangovers of everyone else. So he's very bitter Betty about that. Also, Eve and Bill sang A Whole New World from Aladdin at karaoke. Was that what they sang? Because that was one of my favorite lines from this episode. Do we sing Disney? Yes. Damn, I want that on something because it's just, it's so perfect. I love the fact that I can get this visual of all these MI5 agents in a karaoke bar singing A Whole New World. And yeah, because Eve asked her husband, did we sing A Whole New World? And he said, yes. And everybody left after that. And she's like, well, no one could follow that. (laughs) And then we jump back to Villanelle where she is returning home. And did you get this? Because I don't think anybody that I watched it with did. She has on this contraption thing. Yeah, like a... It's... It's a minimizer. But what, on her boobs? Or, yeah. I thought it was a, um, a a bullet vest. It might have been. But it was... was but it, it a, was a minimizer. Oh, see, I don't think I've ever seen one. 
because... I thought it was like a lady's bullet vest because we all were like, because Carl and I were like, well, what about her midriff? Why isn't that covering your, her whole torso? There's a, a bit later on where they talk about that she would, that the guy was killed by a, a small-breasted psycho. No, yeah. No, I know. I wrote that down. Um, and so oh. she was strapping him down to not only with the wig to change her appearance, but also... To change her physique. Yes. Okay. Okay, that makes sense, because I was like, this is the most sex- sexist piece of shit I've ever seen. It only covers the boobs. What about her her, her tummy? But that makes sense now. Because also the relief <laughs> when she takes it off. Mm-hmm. Because the strap down. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can't imagine. We, we get a real look into her personality. Well, and I th- it establishes that there are a lot of similarities between Eve and Villanelle. Right from the jump. First, we see where she's in the mirror... You know, kind of pulling at her face. I love this scene. And she goes, wow, beautiful. Yeah. That's another thing. Because I, what I keep talking about, the show challenges what you think is going to happen. It, it's like you would think, oh, she's obsessed with age and being beautiful and staying young forever. It's like, no, she just thinks she's hot shit. And she's just kind of in, in awe of herself. Yeah, she really is. It's like, can we celebrate an empowered woman? I know she's a psychopath, but... But she knows who she is. But, yes. <laughs> but she knows she's really pretty. And then she sets up this fake suicide for when her handler comes in. Their relationship is definitely not what you would Well, that scene was so interesting to me because she went so out of her way to make herself appear dead and look like she had an overdose. This very dark, dark humor, guys. And it was all a joke. It was almost like something she does regularly. It seemed, because he was like, he came in and he didn't really seem that surprised. It was kind of like, oh, okay. It felt very, it felt playful in a way. And I had a lot of questions around this, around this scene. Cause I know it's, it, we're supposed to be establishing the connection with Constantine, who is the guy that comes into the um, apartment, who's kind of like her handler, if you will, um, that help that like helps her set up her marks, who she, who her intended victim is. Um, because I don't know, have we said she's an assassin? Oh, I no, we haven't, but I guess we just kind of... Well, yeah, we assumed, but um, um, FYI, Villanelle's an assassin, Constantine is her handler, and he helps set up her jobs for her. And so we get to see her relationship with Constantine, how that's how that goes, what that looks like. We see how she gets her, her marks, how that happens. They're on these postcards, and it's a code she enters in, and it gives her all the information on the computer. But it also left me wondering, because she asked him to watch a movie. She asked if she can take someone with her on her next trip to play with. And then she's like, will you watch a movie with me when I get home? And he, she's like, and then they, he's like, oh, sure. But she's repeating it at the same time he's saying it like this is an old song and dance. It's what he always says. It's almost like a father-daughter relationship. It... <laughs> It, it's something it's it's a it's a kindred bond i don't know i don't know what it is i i i'm hesitant to say father daughter but it does it feels something like a like a fatherly figure villanelle just is so childish in some ways that's why i guess i jumped to well i, I think childish in the way i think she's very attentive to her needs particularly her physical needs because like you see the clothes she wears what she eats, what she drinks. She's like, you know, real cool with sex with anybody. So I think childlike in that way that she, she, you know, feels a need and she kind of takes care of herself. I was thinking more in the 
the kind of playful way that she is. Yeah, like, there... she likes playing this joke where she scares him, and yeah, she likes she likes doing things like that. But I also wonder if it's is is that a way that she's saying I, I am lonely? I do want some kind of connection, but I want it on my terms. And maybe that's what it is. Because it's like it, it, I don't think it's like a deep connection because I don't know that she's capable really of that. I don't. We don't know as much about her. That's why I'm really curious to keep watching in season two. It feels like she wants something to keep her interested. She feels a little bored, maybe. Maybe it's bored. Maybe not lonely. Maybe it's bored and she feels like she, she wants to be stimulated somehow. She She's not feeling that. She's getting... Everything's becoming routine. As another similarity with Eve, because her job is very routine. Throughout the course of this pilot, you see Eve start to take steps to break that routine. Yeah, Bill even has a line to Eve. Our job is weird, but it's boring. And I'm sorry if your husband is boring you too. Well, her husband is boring. Yes, but he's nice. Yeah, but nice isn't necessarily fun. Yeah, there's a great scene later on where she asks him how he would kill her. Oh, yeah. And I think this that scene is also kind of showing... Eve is a her and Villanelle the similarities because she's kind of obsessed with death and gore too. So it's like, and she like the detail she goes into explaining to her husband how she would kill him, the precise things she would do is honestly art. Like that monologue is great, but yeah. I would also be a little intimidated if it were me on the receiving end of that conversation. And of course, her husband's answer is, "I'd flatter you to death." Boring. But I mean, boring is not bad. The character of Eve does not seem to feel that her husband is a priority because you see that a couple times because it's like she initiates sex when she wants to get her mind off of something because she's obsessed with this case. She initiates sex, starts talking about the case, gets the answer she wants, turns around to go to bed. And then she's like, oh, yeah, sex. And then he's like, actually, I'm good. And she's like, oh, good. And like she went to bed. So it's like his needs or his feelings were kind of secondary to to her obsession with this case. So, But you see that a lot. Or like when Bill asks, how's your husband? He's, he's nice. It doesn't seem like a priority in her life. It's not. It doesn't seem like something she thrives off of. You know what I mean? And I just I wonder if it's not necessarily anything's wrong with him. But if it's the routine, it's getting mundane. She does take her first step in breaking out of this by going to interview the witness, which she is not allowed to do. In any capacity. No. And she records the interview, which she definitely is not allowed to mm -mm. do. And then she takes the interview that she has illegally recorded to her husband and this teenage boy. Because isn't the crime boss and his girlfriend, are they Polish? Yes. So they're Polish. And Eve's husband is Polish, and he has this Polish community center or get-together that they hold. And so she takes this recording that she illegally obtained, lets her husband and this young teenage Polish boy listen to it. His name's Dom. And so they listen to it. And they're the ones that are able to translate what she was saying, because the older lady, which her husband calls an Ethel, <laughs> which is perfect, couldn't understand what the woman was saying because she was speaking heroin Polish? Well, that's what the girlfriend was speaking. But it just is a, I think that was a way to say she was speaking a younger version of, like a younger person slang version of Polish. Yeah. Dom and her husband, Nico, are able to translate this, which is when we find out that the killer was a small-breasted psycho. Mm-hmm. Because they have this nice little exchange where Dom gets nice and embarrassed when they're... Well, yeah, because they're talking about Sandra O's 
or Eve's chest. And he's like, well, they're lovely, but, you know, she's not like the, the most ample bosomed woman. So they were like giving the example of like how this this uh, phrase would be used. So, yeah, that was kind of awkward. Also, I, I don't think she had a problem with it. The character Eve had a problem with it. But I also was kind of like, uh, you're talking about her boobs and she's right there. So then we have this really fun exchange with her and Elena where she's talking to Elena about what the... What did the girl's tits look like? And she's like, I know that you get off on this type of thing, but uh, I'm not... But they are people, too. Yeah, she's like, I don't feel like we should be talking about this. They are people. I also love the line when she said, why are you still at work? And she, Elena says, my sister and her asshole baby are staying with me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there again, it's like it's going against the trope of like, oh, the friend that loves, you know, that has a sister and the baby and they always want to spend time. It's like, no, she'd rather be working than go look at the, the baby. Yeah. And I mean, that's how people talk. It's very real, and I like how that is shown, because it, it's not bad, it's not good, it's real. It's who people are. We've all said that. We've all called a baby an asshole. At least once. And I think babies are adorable, but I have called a baby an asshole. Maybe not to its face. Oh, right to its face. I'm real. I'm straight up front. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she's like, hey, baby, you're an asshole. What? Oh, no. And I love it at the end when she's like, thank you. And she goes, oh, of course, madam. All our calls are confidential. Making it sound like some kind of sex hotline. The relationship between all the characters is great, but I really love the relationships between the women. Mm-hmm. Because they're, they're like coworkers. They're real people. It's how we've seen male roles portrayed for years, and it's it's women being portrayed in the same way. And it's really refreshing. And so we jump back to Villanelle. And she's in Tuscany. And, okay, I know this is not the main point of the scene. But when she takes that tomato and just, like, squeezes its innards onto a piece of bread with mozzarella and basil and just, like, shoves it in her mouth and eats it on the motorcycle, that did something for me. Oh, I almost bought a plane ticket right then. I I, I almost went to the grocery store. <laughs> You're like, I want to go to Tuscany. I'm like, give me the food. I want well, no, the bread. I want to go to get the fresh tomatoes from Tuscany. But I can go get that now. Probably not as good. You know what? I'm an ignorant American. I don't know. So Whole Foods or HB will be just fine. The, okay, so this the scene pr- prior with Eve and this scene with Villanelle, has, there are so many similarities. It shows how they work. They both use stereotypes that are directed towards females to get men to do what they want. Eve does it to get the guard out of the room with with the um, crime boss's girlfriend. She's like, oh, the poor thing is delirious. Can we please get her some tea? And she gets her out of the room and immediately starts recording her. And so she's able to do that by kind of falling into that, oh, poor dear thing. Villanelle does that with she's able to get her victim close enough to her by making him think that she's there as his birthday gift. No, it's his anniversary party. No, I or not his birthday gift, but a gift at his anniversary party. So she's like seducing him and she gets him close enough to kill him by seducing him. Yeah. They also enlist the help of two younger people, if you think about it, because Eve goes to Dom and Villanelle uses, what is the guy's name? I forget the guy's name, but the guy she sent to kill, she uses his grandson, who he just had some kind of water gun fight where he poured a bucket of water on him and made him really mad. Davide? Is that his name? She uses his grandson to get to lure him upstairs so that she can kill him. 
Yeah, I also love that she's wearing his wife's dress when she kills him. And he pays attention. That's what I thought was really interesting. Because when he when she gets him up to the room, she's sitting there and they're speaking, kind of doing this little back and forth flirty thing. And she asks him about the bedspread on this bed in this room. And he's like, oh, yes, it's Liliana he knows the Ritsari. name of the designer of the bedspread. Yeah, and then and he knows that it that's his wife's dress. Um, and but unfortunately for him, he doesn't live past that moment. And she sticks a hairpin in his eye and injects something really, real, real, real lethal into his eyeball. And this is another time. It's like the obsession with the kill comes in because it's like you see Eve kind of looking over these files and looking at pictures and kind of you know almost being impressed by these by the murders like she's she's impressed by by the style that these murders are committed in and villanelle literally holds her victim's face so she can see their last breath and like literally see the like light leave their eyes yes which again is just it's haunting but it just goes to see how attuned villanelle is to her needs because that does something for her, whatever it is. And she takes the time to make sure that she can see that. Yeah, even though she could possibly get caught, she's still going to stay. But she also believes that she can't get caught. Yeah. Why is it so important, you think, for her to watch the person die? She talks about it later on in the series. Remind me. She says that people think that <gasps> the spirit leaves the body. That monologue haunted me. I remember that. But she says that the spirit just retreats farther into the person. And so she's watching the spirit retreat from their eyes. Oh. Like the, wants- soul, the soul goes in and just gets so small it can't get out. Right. Yes. And she likes to watch every single one of her victims. Wow. And from that note... Let's talk about how she folds herself up into a suitcase. Yeah, that is some Cirque du Soleil, street-performing, amazing craziness. I mean, she also scaled the outside of the building. Yeah, she just was, like, walking up in her little shorts and top, and just like, oh, boom, I'm gonna jump up here like Spider-Man and scale this whole house. So, I mean, girls got skills. Well, it... It's so funny because it shows how commonplace the, like, how hard her job is. I don't know how many languages. Well, it's so commonplace for her to show this amazing athleticism and be able, and strength and intellect and manipulation. All of these things, it takes years or lifetimes to develop. She has all of these skills in her toolbox. And it's so commonplace for her to use these things in one job. Whereas most of us, it would be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to do one of these things. She does them all effortlessly. Well, I mean, she's smart enough to assess the situation and know to use his grandson to lure him up there. Yeah, that and... was the, that was a, the insight. Like, because Eve is very insightful and can read a situation. Villanelle also is in a very different way. It's the same trait used for different purposes. So after she commits commits the crime, gets away, escapes without being caught. We go back to Eve, who is trying to puncture her femoral artery, which it's like, who the hell sits in front of a computer desk in their underwear and tries to puncture their femoral artery? That kills people. Well, that's what I was wondering why she was doing that. Was it just to see how much it would take? Or was it just like she was so impressed that a tiny little puncture hole could kill somebody? Maybe a combination. Maybe she just wanted to see like how much pressure it took or I don't know but yeah it feels almost like she's like oh 
That's how I would have done it. Again, she admires it. Well, and she's got the the picture of the body with the blood all over the place and like oh, she's fangirling. (laughs) Yeah, she is. She's fangirling. And her husband walks in. And she's like, oh, never mind, wipes the blood off and just like, I'm going to sexually tell you how I'd kill you. Right. But he also says something along the lines of, oh, that's awful. And she's like, that's awesome. Oh, I yeah. Mean, awful. Or it's it's so cool. Or yeah, she's like, cool. I mean, awful. It's awful. He tells her that she should have been a spy. And she's like, I know, right? Again, it's a woman not going, oh, no, no, no. Oh, I'm, you know, that's not for me. And just like denying their power. Like she's like, yeah, I'm that good. I should be doing that. And I I think that's something that that attracts me to Eve so much is that she never is like, no, 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 no. And modest or humble or any of those things. She is, which are all fine things to be. But I think a lot of times as women, we're conditioned to think we have to be that way. So seeing her completely own her talent and her power is really, really gratifying. Well, there's also a little role reversal here because it's her in her office working and her husband comes in, gives her a glass of wine and asks her if she wants dinner. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are important things. I mean, these things need to be outsourced if you're not willing to do them yourself. Yeah, exactly. Because not everyone's a cook. You need to find someone to do that. You don't necessarily need to find you a man, but you can find yourself a chef. Well, that's true. But if he happens to be a chef or they happen to be a chef, that might be a good match. So, yeah, we talked about the whole, like, initiating sex and forgetting, (laughs) which is hilarious to me. But also, it just, it kind of spoke to me in the way that, that the husband was kind of a second thought. Yeah. That the, that the real reason behind sex was to distract her. But then once she got the answer she wanted, or she was kind of happy with the, which, with what she came up in her head, she kind of was like, okay, good night. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, bye. (laughs) So I thought that was interesting, too. And then we're back to Villanelle. Yeah, we're back to Villanelle. Uh, Constantine's there. And Constantine's letting her know that she is screwing up. She's getting too clumsy. And not clumsy in the way, like, she hasn't made any overt things. She's showing off. She's showing off. She's getting too cocky. Because she's like, oh, because she leaves the hairpin that she used to kill the one guy at the crime scene. And he's like, your hairpin's all over the news. And she's like, oh, that's okay. I'll get another one. She's not concerned in the least. She's like, these people are too stupid. I'm too smart. They will not catch me. But he has come to let her know that she let the girlfriend escape in Vienna. And that's not good. And she's got to clean this mess up. And make it look like a suicide. Yes, make it look like a suicide. That was a very, very important part. Yes. But I just thought, because again, talking about owning, owning your power and being confident in yourself. Just like Eve is like, I know that's what I should be. I should be a spy. She's like, I'm not going to get caught. She's she's not even concerned when this guy's sitting there telling her that she should be concerned. Right. And she's also recently gotten a bonus. And she said, because I'm amazing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, he says yes or something like that. Yeah. And we go back to Eve and she's having lunch with Bill. They're having lunch swap where they trade lunches. And I think... Oh, that like was the first key to clue me in that Bill, Bill's not like most girls. It's like he, like they, they each had their lunch that their significant others prepared. And he has this delicious like sushi bento box. And so she's just like, oh my gosh, your wife's an artist. And he gets like this plop of shepherd's pie or something. And it has a note on the top that's like, do heat it up properly. And he's like, can I eat this cold? And so they're just like sitting there eating this, you know, eating this food, talking. And what struck me about this is she was not afraid to tell Bill she thought he was being lazy with his police work. 
And she, like, she didn't even doubt it. She goes, yeah, I think you are being lazy or something to that effect. It's like, she's not the slightest concern pissing someone off. She's, she's more concerned about this hunch she has. She has a feeling something's not right. There's no CCTV. And then there is CCTV of the killing. Why? Why is it there? What's being overlooked? She also presents him with this file where she's been collecting information on these cases for months. Yeah, these prolific killings. And he tells her, this isn't our job. And her biggest concern is not if she's making someone uncomfortable or offending them. It's following this hunch because she knows. That's the case of someone, someone knowing when something is right or knowing when they're following their true north it's like she knows that this hunch is where she's supposed to go she's supposed to go into it and so bill says for her to go to the hospital because in the morning they're transferring the the girlfriend yes does she have a name i can't remember i can't remember her name so i apologize actor if if your role had a name but we're just calling you the girlfriend and she takes dom with her so bill tells her to go keep this girl safe And of course, that's her indication. I should probably do another illegal investigation. So she grabs Dom because she's not, the girlfriend is not officially allowed to have police officers in her hospital room, but she can have relatives. And Eve knows this. So she grabs Dom, who's a young Polish boy. They look very similar. And so she she grabs him and is going to have him pretend to be a cousin or a relative. And ask her just three or four questions. Yeah, yeah. And so she's, I guess she's going to record the whole thing or something. So I think, you know, Dom, at first glance, I was like, oh, Dom's so sweet. Because when they get to the, to the hospital and they're waiting to see her, he's like, we should have brought her some chocolate or something. And so my first indication was like, oh, he's sweet. But then it was like, or is it to sell the story? Like, oh, well, if I was a relative, would I bring something? So I don't know where it is. I don't know how, I don't know how he was thinking about that like selling the story or if it was just he was like oh but that's what I would like chocolate I don't know which way but I think it's funny that that kind of came into my mind yeah I didn't even think about the second way I just he has this very sympathetic look on Mm -hmm. his face when he's talking about it so I immediately got the oh he feels bad for her or was it just another way to cover cover their ass Mm, that's a that's a very good insight because it's like people can be really kind and sweet but you can still want to sell your story you know, we tell each other stories every day that aren't necessarily true and we're good people. So I, I just wonder what way it was intended. Because if that came up, maybe that's a maybe that's a clue. Eve goes to the bathroom. She pops to the loo. While she's in there, this woman comes out of the stall. <gasps> Surprise! It's, it's Villanelle. Villanelle! First, she doesn't wash her hands. Villanelle doesn't? No. Gross. She goes up to the sink. Well, she's about to get washed in blood. Yeah, but she never actually washes him. And then she tells Eve that she should wear her hair down. This reminds me. So in the scene when Villanelle's going back to her apartment, this is a while back, um, after the first um, assassination, she looks at this woman that has long, dark brown hair as she's walking down the road. Do you remember that? And she just kind of looks her up and down. And I made Carl go back because I was making sure she didn't come into play later, but she didn't. But she had long, dark hair. Very different style, very different look than Eve Pilastri, but there was something similar. There was just some like something similar. But then she kind of gives Eve the same look. So my question is, did she know who Eve was at that point, or did um, was she just kind of enamored with her? I think she was just enamored with her. I don't think she knew who she was. Yeah. And but she does like long dark hair. It's interesting that you brought that woman up because I noticed that. And then we never saw her again. So 
But I wonder because if you think about, because later on there's another woman, not to spoil anything, that kind of has the same long dark hair that wears kind of the same style of clothing. So I wonder if this is kind of establishing that Eve or that Villanelle has a type. Ah, and so while Sandra Oh in a lot of ways fits that, she's also a little bit different in just her demeanor, who she is. So it's like it was kind of almost like a, a meat cute, but in a in a in a mur- murdery type of way. But so she's just staring at Eve, just like she has seen. I don't know. She just like she saw the most amazing thing. She's just staring at her, and Eve's like, "Are you okay?" Yeah, because it's it's weird to have somebody in the bathroom with you. Yeah, because Villanelle's uninhibited. She's just staring at her like she's a, like a piece of art or something, just looking at her, and not kind of worried about it. And then once Eve draws attention to the fact that she's staring at her, then she's like, oh, shit. Okay. And then as she's leaving the bathroom, she's like, wear it down. Because Eve's going to put her hair up. And she's just, no, wear it down. And she has this beautiful, curly, just like wild hair. And it just, it looks good anyway. Her hair is amazing. Yeah. It's like, she doesn't do any, I'm sure, you know, this is Hollywood. So something was done to it. But it just looks so natural and effortless. But it just, it works. Like, if I tried to wear my hair like that, it would not work, but it works on her. Yeah. So, no, I just really, I love, I just, I love the way her hair is just kind of mussy and fussy and just as it, as it is. So, while she's in the bathroom, literally in the bathroom stall. On the toilet. She gets a call from Bill saying there was no CCTV footage. Get in there and make sure that girl is safe. So she goes flying out of the bathroom into this completely silent hospital, which was so creepy because the phone is ringing and like the lights are kind of flickering. And she's like, hello, hello. And she just rounds the corner and she sees a pair of legs coming out of the hospital room. And my immediate thought was, oh, no, Dom is dead. She got Dom killed. I know. That's where I went to. I was like, oh, my gosh, she got this kid killed. And so she runs in. The nurses are all dead. Like violently killed. And the girlfriend has blood spurting out of her throat. Like, her her throat's been slit. And so she runs over and she's trying to, you know, hold her throat closed. And And what struck me about Eve in this moment, because she's been kind of collected to a point, there is nothing calm, there is nothing collected about her response. It is completely visceral and completely real. It, it, she's, she's freaking out. She doesn't know what to do. All of her training kind of goes out the books and she's just trying to keep pressure on the girl's throat. And she's screaming bloody murder. And I gotta give props to the lady who played the girlfriend. Oh, God. That death scene was amazing. It Yeah, in the worst way. It was absolutely stunning. Yeah, she was phenomenal. Like, And I hate to use that word because it was so violent and, like I said, visceral. But it was... It, she just she completely sold it but it's acting and yeah it was real you praise her for her acting yeah the acting use your acting it was good which so, did not look like a suicide no i don't recall someone you know taking out all the nursing staff and then like slitting their own throat looking like a suicide but you know i haven't seen a lot good job villanelle yeah so villanelle um is probably going to be getting a call from constantine letting her know that um she didn't quite follow instructions but it is at this moment where dom walks up holding a candy bar so it's like whether or not he intended to be sweet or sell a story whatever that instinct was he followed it and it saved his life because he was not in the area when villanelle was there so he his his life was spared but this is not the end of eve's saga because now that this has all happened and she's there 
she it's kind of found out that she's been doing this illegal investigation and Frank is not happy. So we go to this kind of, I think it's an interview room, inter- interrogation room, and her and Bill are there. And he's like, if you get fired, take me down with you. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. He goes, no, give me an excuse to call Frank a dick swab. Just another time Bill proves himself. He's like not concerned about the job. He's just really concerned that if he's going to get to call Frank a dick swab. I'm like, this is priorities, people. Well, and he's also not throwing her under the bus. No, he's not chastising her at all. He was like, hey, you did what you thought was best. It is not, you know, you did, you followed these clues. You did what you thought was best. You know, you did your job. Well, and she was supposed to protect the girl. She had two armed Armed guards. guards. He's reassuring her. He's like, no, you did your job. Frank and Carolyn come in. Of course, Frank is completely fit to be tied. Frank's words are, well, that could have gone better. That is so British. It's like four or five people have just been murdered, like, violently. And he just goes, well, that could have gone better. Yeah. He's so dispassionate about the whole thing. But one thing he is not dispassionate on is how pissed he is at Eve. And he lets her know that it is completely her fault that all these people died and is just raking her over the coals. Carolyn's still curious about Eve, like in the midst of all this, because Eve's talking about all these things that she's kind of uncovered. And Carolyn's like, wait, what? And just she's not she doesn't seem angry. Yeah, she doesn't really seem too concerned either that her witness. No, is she, dead. she it doesn't. It just seems like she's in a meeting and she's just listening to Eve. And when she hears something that piques her interest or piques her curiosity, she's like, wait, what did you mean by that? But there's no real anger directed toward her. Frank, on the other hand, is is livid. And so when she finally tells him how she uncovered all this stuff that she did an interview and she illegally recorded the conversation and then even let some other people listen to it, mm-hmm. his response is just, you're fired. Yeah. And he's, and she goes, you're a dick swab. And, Fra- and Bill goes, oi! And Frank's like, thank you, Bill. And Bill goes, no, I wanted to call him a dick swab. And then Frank's like, I think it's best that both of you leave or something. And Carolyn's like, it seems that there will be some reshuffling in your department. Again, very English. And as they get up to leave, um, (laughs) Bill goes, just to be clear, Frank. And Frank goes, you're fired. And Bill goes, excellent. Thank you. It's just, I love it because it's, again, it's this moment where it should be so serious and agonizing or anguish for these characters. And the writers are still able to find that humor yeah. in it. It's like Bill is more concerned about Eve than he is his job. Get yourself a bill. You all, we all need we all need a bill because he goes to bat for Eve so many times. And not that she needs anyone to go to bat for her, but as women coming up in society that is still male dominated and geared towards men, it is so cool when they show characters, male characters being advocates and amplifying women's voices. Yeah, because it's always good to have your boss in your corner. And Frank is a dick swab. Yeah, he really is. (laughs) We learn more stuff about him, but yeah. But, and then the the next part is Carolyn shows up at Eve's doorstep and and asks her if she needs some milk. And, I mean, I kind of knew what was happening at this point because Carolyn just has always seemed really fascinated by Eve and really interested in what she had to say. Like she saw something in her. And so they walk to the little corner store and Eve's, or Eve's husband doesn't know that she's with someone. He just knows that she's going down to the store. And so she's like, get some milk or your husband's going to think you're having an affair. 
And as they're having, as they're in the store, Carolyn basically confirms Eve's suspicions were true. There is, there is this prolific serial killer that is an assassin and they have been tracking her and she's getting sloppy. Or no, 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 not sloppy. No, she's getting sloppy and she's showing off. She wants to, when she feels, I didn't, what were her words exactly? She said, when you feel better, I want to buy you breakfast at... And she the Purple was- Penguin at Charing Cross, 9 a.m. on Thursday. I'll wait 10 minutes. So basically, like, I'm going to give you time to feel better, but you better feel better by Thursday at 9 a.m. And then you said something, or, or um, Carolyn goes, you may want to buy some milk or he's going to think you're having an affair. She's like, most men think you'll, you're having an affair before they think you're a spy. And she goes, oh, my husband would probably think I'm a spy before he thought I was having an affair. And then Carolyn goes, you may want to make him think you're having an affair. Which it's just like, it's very matter of fact because it's like, you've got to keep this cover. So now Eve is a spy. Yeah. Bill's predictions, or not Bill, Nico's predictions came true. And we closed the episode on Villanelle. And she got the bedspread that the Italian crime boss had in his house. Even when murdering, she still made time to remember the name of this designer that she liked. Yeah, self-care. It's like, she works so hard. <laughs> she deserves a nice bedspread. But she's sitting on the bed and she has the postcard that she was given for the job. The London job, I believe. Right? I thought it was her next job. Maybe it was her next job. But she's just... She looks really introspective like she's really thinking about something and i wonder what she was thinking about and part of me wonders if she's thinking about eve Mm. like she's thinking about this woman she saw one other thing i want to say about villanelle real quick that we saw very early in the episode she opens a drawer in her wardrobe and she has her guns her knives her razors and her tampons all in the same drawer hey all are needed yeah in this line of work i would probably categorize those things together so just some facts about this show. Time Magazine and The Guardian chose Killing Eve as the number one show of 2018. Hannah Georges wrote in The Atlantic that the show's greatest success is how alluring it makes its villain to both Eve and the audience. And that Villanelle's character subverts feminine stereotypes as to carve a jagged space into the serial killer canon. Yeah, and something just to keep in mind, because I like to come at this from all aspects, I did read an article that was talking about um, serial killers being uh, portrayed as bisexual in media. And specifically, they talked about Villanelle, Annalise Keating from How to Get Away with Murder, and Frank Underwood from House of Cards. All are bisexual and all kind of immoral, very um, attuned with physical needs, willing to let the ones they love die around them kind of it was written by a woman who does identify as bisexual and just talking about the the tropes used commonly around bisexual characters and a lot of times it is sociopath or killers or someone associated with lust and bloodlust like it's one and the same so it is kind of interesting that um, this show while it's very progressive in the way it portrays women it still is kind of stuck in this trope about bisexuality being akin to just being kind of an immoral person yeah an immoral person yeah so that was just something to think about um if i find i i'll I'll send you the link so you can link it in the episode and that'll be Um, in our show notes yeah so just to keep an eye on it um just just to give you a well-rounded um view of the show because i did notice that it's kind of like villanelle is is very much um indulgent and she takes care of herself um and i did find that interesting when they pointed out that a lot of bisexual characters tend to be people that are very like overindulgent and you know feed their lust and their bloodlust or you know whatever their desires without concern of those around them 
you can't have just a regular character that's bisexual. They have to have something. Yeah, they can't. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying that this show is wrong in any way because it's obviously fiction. Just something to give you a different perspective. Definitely. I haven't read the books, so I don't know if that's something that's in oh, the that's book. Right. It's a book. Or if that is something that was written into the TV show. That could be something, you know, if someone has some information on that, please let us know. The um. second book is going to be coming out later this year, and it's going to be called Villanelle No Tomorrow. Mm, that sounds very Bond-like. There was another review in the New Yorker. The writer acknowledged how critics have noted that women characters are substituted for men in every meaningful part of this show, and that the men are formulaic, but the women are deeply strange. That was in quotation. They said that Killing Eve isn't shaped around the concept of women. It's shaped around these women who are unlike any others in their wild, unlikely interior weirdness and flux. And she also said that a defining feature of the show is its constant reversals in tone and rhythm Mm -hmm. and the show's thrill coming from pattern rather than resolution. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Also, we need to talk about Jodie Comer. I think that's how you say her name or Comer. I'm not sure how you say that. Just let's talk about her as Villanelle just for a second because we've kind of sung the praises of Sandra Oh, very rightly so. But Jodie Comer is right there with her, like the perfect partner kind of going alongside her in this parallel story. Yeah, she is fantastic. I was talking to one of my co-workers about this show because I've gotten everybody at work to watch it now. Excellent. She is British, mm-hmm. but she is so good with her Russian accent that when she goes into her British, it sounds fake to me. Well, any she is so good with her dialects because she speaks French on the show. She speaks Italian, Russian, I think some other one, some other Japanese at one point, Japanese. I feel like there was another one and then English, obviously. And she just perfectly flows into them. And there's no kind of trace of another, another accent or another dialect. It's just what the language she is speaking in is the dialect she is speaking in. And it sounds like her native tongue. Yeah. And she hasn't done a ton of stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's got some good parts under her belt, but you know, It's not like she has just been acting for years and years and years and years. Right. So to have this be one of her first starring roles that's really skyrocketing her to fame, this is a huge launch pad for her. And I think we're going to see a lot more from her, especially with BBC. I'm definitely going to see her doing stage plays. I'm sure of it. Well, she is going to be in Kenneth Branagh's adaptation of Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. Oh. Which is going to be a good one. She did star as young Elizabeth of York in The White Princess on Stars in 2017. All right. So that's, you know, a fairly big thing. No, so she's done things, but I don't think the American audience would have been as familiar with her. No, I hadn't seen her before. I I foresee more um, American-based projects happening, definitely, because she has shown herself to be a commodity. So I definitely see more in her future. Um I definitely see her winning awards at some point. She's she is going to be one of those actors that we see nominated consistently. Yeah. Um. She's just she's building that brand now. Well, we're probably going to see a uh, matchup between her and Sandra Oh for best actress. I would like to see them in separate categories though, because I do. While I feel like they're both leading roles, I feel like Sandra Oh is the lead. This brings us to a question you asked me earlier. 
What does the title mean? Killing, Killing Eve. Eve. That is something that I'm still thinking about because I feel like killing means different things. Because killing, it's an end. It's a forced end. You know what I mean? Well, and when you asked me that, the first thing that popped into my mind was that she was killed from her own, her old life and now she's entering this life as a spy. I'm not sure what Killing Eve means because killing to me, it signifies an end. And there's a lot of endings in this episode. She ends her job with MI5. Her life changes drastically as a result. The end of this existence that she's known, she's really coming in to a place of what she truly wants to do. So I don't know if that's what it means, but it just there's an ending and now there's this beginning. So killing Eve, what does that mean? So we pose that to you. Yes, we would love to know. Please email, tweet us. Let us know what you think. Because probably probably someone's written an article about this, and of course we did we just didn't see it. Always interested to hear what you have to say. So please engage with us. Tell us what you think. Well, yeah, because the books are called Villanelle. Hmm. But it's like Villanelle doesn't really seem to have an interest. That we're getting off topic a little bit, but an interest in killing Eve. No, but but yeah, that's the that's the name of the books, codenamed Villanelle. Villanelle, and... no tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, if you have an opinion, if you have some information that we don't, definitely drop us a line, engage with us, let us know what you think. Because we are here and we are listening. I don't know if we mentioned it already, but Killing Eve has been renewed for a third season. Nice. I don't know if it's one of those shows that would go beyond that or if it will have told its story by the end of the third season, but we'll see. Yeah. I think it's all about, I love BBC because they really do focus on quality of their content. If it's, if the story's done and there's not really anywhere to go, I don't foresee them just keeping it going to be a cash cow. We'll just have to see how long the story needs to be told. That brings us to the end of this discussion. Yeah, absolutely. But real quick, we want to say a huge thank you to the people who have supported us on our Patreon so far. Thank you. We are so incredibly thrilled that there are people that like our content and want to see uh, better quality and more of it um, coming your way very soon. So you are making that possible. So from the bottom of our hearts here at Fatal Films, Laura and I thank you very, very much. One of the perks that you can get from supporting us on Patreon is we will sensually whisper your name to the darkness and at the end of an episode and on Twitter as we exhale a plume of smoke. So Lacey will now whisper the names of our donors. Our thanks to Victoria Lawson, Good Times, Great Movies podcast, and Criterion Now. Thank you. But seriously. Jeez. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Do you have a recommendation? I do. Kind of. I haven't seen it because it hasn't come out yet. But I'm very, very excited for it to be released. And that is The Hustle with Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. That's kind of the remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with women. And it's actually written by a woman, Jack Schaefer. So very excited to see what that looks like and what it is because from the previews it looks hysterical so gonna stick with that 
So I actually have two recommendations. I know, I know. The first one is La Femme Nikita, or just Nikita. It depends on which title you see. That is from 1990, and it is written and directed by Luke Besson, and it stars Anne Parlaud. Forgive me, I know that I butchered your name, but you were fantastic in it. She just reminds me of Villanelle in so many ways because she just does what she wants and doesn't care. So while this was written and directed by a guy, her performance definitely makes it worth watching. My other recommendation is a comedy, but I feel like we can play into the comedy of Killing Eve. Yeah, there's there's humor and embrace the humor of the story. And my recommendation is The Spy Who Dumped Me from 2018, starring Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon. And this is written and directed by Susanna Fogel. And this movie was really, really funny. And I recommend you watch it. I'm going to because I could have watched this on the plane coming home from California. And I didn't. And I'm regretting that. You should have. Well, I'm going to watch it now. Good. I have a Redbox coupon. Yes. Perfect. Excellent. Good. Everyone say bye. 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 Here is our clue for our next episode. When your husband makes love to you, it's my face he sees. When your baby is hungry, it's my breast that feeds him. Look at you. When push comes to shove, you can't even breathe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode, because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.